Hello, everyone. I'm Ben West. And I'm Matthew Cantrell. Welcome to... It's funny, we talk about how you watch these movies over and over and over again, and you were like, okay, I want you to convince me about Frozen, because I'm not convinced that Frozen's a movie I should show my children and watch. And I was mm-hmm. like, gosh, I haven't seen Frozen in a while, because the girls watch it so much we stopped, but it's been like over a year since I've seen it. So I was like, do I even remember all of Frozen? And then I did. Right. I like thought about it. I'm like, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> not only do I remember all the beats, I remember every line. I was like going through my head like, oh my Oh yeah, gosh. and that's when so-and-so says this, and so-and-so says that, and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh yeah, and then there's this. I was like going through the entire movie in my head like, yeah, it's oh still there. Goodness. It's still there, locked away, <laughs> tight. Um, <clears throat> oh, okay, this will be good yeah. then. So uh, I'm excited. Because I, and, and yeah, to tee this up, I... We we've talked about we talk about Disney movies a lot. We've got kids. We gotta we gotta find things to 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 share with them. You know that that we're you know affected by and enjoy. And uh, Frozen is one of those movies that I am not convinced that I should show my daughters or should watch myself. <laughs> uh, Matthew, I know you enjoy it, so I am here to be convinced on what makes or what redeems Frozen, why anyone should watch it in the first place, and why we shouldn't. Uh, find all of the digital copies that exist of it and somehow burn them. I, I don't know how you would burn a digital copy, but <laughs> that's I would find a way. Create a computer virus <laughs> that deletes all right. frozen. That's fun. Um, Maybe dramatic. Yeah, so this would be kind of fun to just like kind of grapple with this topic and figure out like, Hey, maybe by the end of this, I'm convinced that I shouldn't have shown this movie to my daughters. And I should mm-hmm. keep it locked mm-hmm. away in the vault and never pull it back out again. Um, and we'll work on the virus together. There you go. And then maybe I'll have you convinced that perhaps it's not as bad as you thought. And, uh, yeah. And, and again, I would love to do a future episode on old Disney versus new Disney at some point, because Mm -hmm. that would be a very interesting kind of like pseudo debate to have. But, uh, well, this is, this is actually a property that kind of lies at the crux of that is because I frozen was the, the, the departure. This is, this was new Disney. (laughs) Yes. Because Tangled was like the first, I I would argue that Tangled is new Disney and and it Mm -hmm. came out, it came out before Frozen, but Frozen was like the flagship and remains the flagship of new Disney. Like Tangled was, it is arguably super popular in and of itself. Um, Moana did a good job. Um, Encanto is, you know, took last year by storm. Uh, but I still think Frozen is still kind of the flagship of the the new Disney yeah. movement. And so um, <clears throat> it would be interesting to talk about. But um, yeah, I will frame this conversation around Frozen 1. I'm not going to get into like Frozen 2 oh, or any of the okay. other stuff there. Beca- because there's people have varied opinions about Frozen 2 anyways because uh, sure. people liked Frozen 1. And then Frozen 2 had a lot of anticipation behind it. There were years in between. And Frozen 2 like... I don't know. There's no point in talking about Frozen 2 unless you were a fan of Frozen 1 to begin with and you were invested in Frozen <laughs> 2 and having an opinion on it. Because some people say, oh, it was great. It wasn't, a, it was like its own thing. It wasn't necessarily as good as Frozen 1. Some people say, some people say it was better, which I'm like, I don't know. But, and then some people were like, it was terrible. And it's like, but why get into one of the ones that isn't as strong? Um, because that one depends on the strength of the first. So if I can convince you about the first, then there's room to have a conversation about the second one. But I'm not going to frame this conversation around both. I'm going to frame it around the original movie and why I thought it was, you know, okay to show my kids. Like, I'm not going to say, 
because I don't want to say, I don't want to come in this and have people think like, this is Matthew's favorite Disney movie. And like, no, no. Like I, I was like, oh, this seems fine. Like, and I watched it. And I was like, that was fine. Right. Like, you know. It's got bits of both. Yeah. And, but I, I, I appreciate the, the, the constraint that you're giving that though with, which is right. Cause I don't want to seem like it's too extreme. Of like, I, pr- like if you don't show frozen to your children, it's like, no, like I'm not right. I, I it's not that I want to convince you in the sense that like, I think that your children need to see this movie to be whatever thing. Um, it's more of like, Saved. yeah, uh, it's more of like, I, I found it to be fun and even have beneficial like story beats in it for my children to learn like lessons and stuff. And I know that you are skeptical of whether it's even worth watching and if it actually has negative aspects. And so that's where I want to have a discussion is like, can I convince you that the good outweighs the bad on this one? So let's dive in. Totally. Well, can I, Yeah. What, could I, could I start by outlining the, yes, that's what I wanted to the, hear. The case I want against. to hear what you, what your worries are so I can speak into that instead of just randomly speaking into things. Sure. I mean, you can, you can speak to them and then pass them, but, uh, my chief concerns with with frozen especially showing it to my kids first of all uh is it it comes from this place of like people will show their kids movies that they can at least tolerate as parents and i did not enjoy the movie particularly (laughs) as an adult um i found the songs to be unimaginative uninspired kind of songs um the uh the the thing that i think is strikes the biggest nerve is the let it go sequence and that is to me like the chief like folly i guess of of the of the movie and it's shown through the plot that you know elsa having this rebellious moment is what causes all the this distress for the rest of the town and was was certainly not a good or a high moment for her and she kind of needs to repent of that and come back to her family um and i would say that in spite of that it remains one of the most memorable songs um from the show and uh something that kind of carries <sighs> like you could almost separate clip it out uh and and just enjoy the song and forget about the ramifications um and and the 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 fallout of that being that it's it's this total loosening of every kind of social constraint um and every kind of vice or sorry not vice virtue (laughs) that would uh keep someone moored uh that that it's it's a total kind of abandonment of um oh what's the word uh oh my gosh i can't believe the word is escaping me scruples um and just uh, total self-indulgence so i i understand how it builds to that moment um I, I i don't think that's a high point and it unfortunately is kind of becomes a high point uh because of because of the music um that that is mainly it honestly the the whole let it go thing and i'm sure there are other things i may i probably should have compile the list no no this is good and uh, I, and even as i talk about it, you might have counterpoints and thoughts too of like oh wait that brings up a topic but i i think you yes. got some of those support things because actually um <clears throat> i'm going to concede uh a point to you and give a caveat to anyone who is on the fence about this or is thinking about this or hasn't thought about it if you listen to the frozen soundtrack um outside of the story 
of the movie, I would agree that it could be detrimental because there's two songs in it that outside of the context and lessons learned in the movie, they do indicate that you can just kind of do whatever you want or that there are consequences to certain things. And the first one is, um, uh, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen Frozen, <laughs> which I mean, even if you haven't watched it, it's not a big deal, but like, if you haven't seen Frozen, yeah. um, and you're worried about spoiler, I don't care, but, um, yeah, <laughs> it's been out long enough. And, uh, so Hans, the, uh, seeming love interest in the beginning, he's this handsome young man who shows up on the one day that Anna is going to be able to be out in public outside of the castle. She's been locked in the castle in isolation, um, for years. The only people she sees are the servants. And sometimes she gets glimpses of her sister who ignores her and doesn't talk to her at all after her parents' death. So she has been living in isolation for the last three years and in arguably isolation her whole life because even though when her parents were alive, she still had some access to the outside world. She lost access to her sister and she was kind of ignored by her parents because her sister's magic that she did not know about anymore was consuming all their efforts. And so the neglect that she experienced and the isolation of being locked in the castle after her parents' death um, drove her to a point where in one of the songs she's singing, like, you know, maybe this is my my chance to find true love, but it's only for today. Like a, a chance to change my lonely world, a chance to find true love is one of the, the verses in the song. And it's like, she's living in this lonely world and she's the only opportunity she has to be out of the gates and free is that day. And she's like, okay, this is my way out of this isolation. And both girls respond to isolation two different ways. Like uh, Elsa fears herself and fears her power because she's hurt her sister, Anna. And she was told that fear could be, you know, her enemy, but that ultimately her powers are dangerous and could hurt people. And so she feared that because she hurt her sister and her father feared that too. And so in his bad parenting, um, <clears throat> he chose to force her to conceal her powers to isolate them and to live in fear, even though the like dwarf thing like literally said a uh, troll um, literally said like <laughs> that fear would be her enemy, that it would be the thing that ruins her. And her father's like, great, I'm going to isolate her and make her wear these gloves and constantly berate her and tell her how terrifying her powers are and that she needs to control them or she'll hurt someone again. It's like, great, good job, dad. Good, Were you good listening plan. at all? Like, no, he there. There's bad parents in this baby. Dun dun dun. Oh, yeah. So. Um, that is a, a factor, is that her, her father makes a decision out of fear that then comes breeds a fear in her, his daughter. Um, and, you know, he's well-meaning, but that's not a good thing. And so she lives in isolation and a fear, and it, so it's a negative isolation. Um, isolation is bad no matter whether it's a positive or negative isolation, like we need people, but she's living in a negative isolation. Anna's in a positive isolation in the sense that, like, she can find joy in her every day, and you see that in the one of the Snowman songs. She's, like, having fun around the castle. She's made friends with the portraits. She talks with the servants. Like, she lives kind of this goofy, quirky, like, you know, positive life, but it's still in isolation and neglect. And so um, she's still experiencing that isolation. And so then um, when Hans shows up and shows her affection... And they get to know each other and she realizes this, this is my opportunity. Like he loves, he cares about me. He clearly has feelings for me. Uh, he's handsome and I have feelings for him and I need to get out of this. Like I can't stay this way. And so when she sees her sister at the coronation, she's like, 
this is so nice. We should do this all the time. She's like, well, we can't. And she's sad and lonely and she realizes, I I'm going to be locked away again tonight. Like as soon as this party's over, I'm back in here and I can't get out again. And then Han shows up and whisks her away and they sing this song about being in love. And he he's heard her share about her concerns and he realizes he has an opportunity here. And so he proposes to her. And during that song, it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek making fun of all the instant romance songs that we've heard in the past. And so it's it's comical, and it's especially once you've seen the movie and are watching it again, you see how naive it is and that it's it's mocking itself. But if you don't know that and you're just a kid who's listening to that song, it's a love song that's like clear it's made to seem silly and it's made to seem childish. Um and anyone watching it is like, this is a little weird. Like you can't marry someone you just met. Like that's like one of the most famous lines of the entire movie, regardless of if you've seen it. I was like, when she's like, You can't marry a man you just met, and it's like every Disney movie before then is like, Hey, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> Are you making right. fun of all the old ones? Yes, it is. Well, that's uh, something that I, I I tend actually to agree with. I, I, like, I can appreciate that point of view. I I I didn't find it, uh, that that particular uh, moment to be off-putting. Right, but the song on its own, if you don't watch the movie in the context of it and see that there's a lesson learned from that instant romance and giving your heart to someone mm -hmm. out of desperation for, especially when it's not like the desperation is coming from her situation, not towards actually desiring to be with someone. It's like here's my way out. And it's nice that I have affections for him and that I, I'm falling in love with him. I genuinely believe she had that emotion, but also mm. it was fueled by her desperation to get out of a, a bad situation, a validly bad situation. Yeah. And so she makes a bad decision, but it's almost understandable if you'd been isolated alone for that long and you knew that you were going to be put back in it that, that evening and you start to give your heart to this person and propose it's like this is it it's my solution like i can get out like i'm not gonna be locked away again tonight and so her manic kind of crazy quirky attitude comes out there and it's like wow she's being taken advantage of here and you know it's <clears throat> the lesson that you learned but if you just listen to that song on a soundtrack and never think about the movie again you're getting this kind of like negative message i think um about marriage well about falling in love and like how like Oh, we're so in love, but it's like goofy and silly and it's kind of sure. naive. And um, again, out of context and out of the lesson that's learned there, I think it actually can be bad. And the exact same thing goes for Let It Go, which is, uh, sorry. <clears throat> so the same goes for Let It Go, which is Elsa's, um, like it's her isolation response that she's right. been hiding her powers and living in fear this entire time trying so hard not to reveal anything it's finally revealed and let out everyone in the city now knows that she has these ice powers and she runs away and decides i'm not going to be queen and i'm not going to live this way anymore the first thing she does is toss her tiara away she's up in the high mountains and she's like fine i like being alone and like, I like isolation and I'm going to turn this into positive isolation instead of negative isolation. Like she was living in fear and isolation because of that fear. But now she can be alone the way she likes to be alone. She's learned to, to love to be alone, but now she can do it without living in fear. And so she's letting go of the fear and she doesn't realize that by creating the storm, she's doing this to everyone down there. She thinks, I'm just on my own now. I've gotten rid of all my responsibilities as queen. Anna, Anna will make a good queen. Someone else will. 
but I clearly won't. And now I can live in freedom up here away from all these silly responsibilities and burdens that have troubled me so much. And so she sings, let it go in response to her powers. Um, and, and finally being free from the isolation, the prison that she was in from that fear. Um, and she has no idea that she's causing the snowstorm down there. And when Anna gets up there, she's like, Hey, this is happening. Like Arendelle's in deep snow. Um, and she's like, what do you can see? She's like genuinely just shocked. And she's like, totally upset. Like I couldn't, I knew I couldn't be free. Like the, the fear sets in and the, the prison starts to close in on her again, just like it was for Anna when she heard that they were going to close the gates again that night. Like the, the trap, the feeling of being trapped closed in again of like, oh, I thought I could finally be free, but no, I've ruined it for everyone. I've become even more of a monster than I thought. Everyone's down there living in this cold and, and this terrible freeze because of me. And I knew I couldn't be free. And I knew that my, I couldn't ever have, you know, my powers work this way. I have to go back into hiding or I have to run away again. Like whatever it is, it's like, not that she's living like willfully and throwing away all responsibility and say, forget everybody. I'm going to just do my own thing. She's like, well, I'm finally out of this. And like, I can just let, let loose and just be myself without having to hide it. And there are no more consequences on anyone else for that anymore. So I can just be who I am and who I was made to be without needing to worry about what that means for other people. Um, which again is not a good lesson. It's, it's not her high point as a character, but it is an understandable place to be. And that's the context in which it is. But when you just listen to the lyrics of Let It Go, which is what so many people <laughs> do, it is. It's just like telling you to cast off all responsibility, to do what makes you happy. And like all these things that like, you know, again, in the context of the movie, you realize she learns the balance. She learns to bear that responsibility and to bear her powers in tandem without, um, and, and to be able to be who she is um, without running away from who she is. Um and so that's her main lesson that she learns is that love instead of fear can help her to master herself um, and master her powers and take on her true responsibilities without casting them off and running away from everything as soon as they get hard. Um, and so that's a good lesson that she learns and she becomes a good queen in the end. Um, but that song isolated on its own, I would, I would agree is de detrimental if not uh, given the right context. So yeah. Sure. Okay, so concessions uh, out in the open there. So th those were some pretty compelling like summaries of the arcs. And I think I like I can definitely see the way that you <laughs> saw this a million times <laughs> and just like thought very deeply about about, you know, the, the inner workings of what's motivating character decisions at each point. So I'm curious and I, like I, I think I have a sense of, of where you might land with this, but I'm curious your thoughts on like the most redeeming aspect of the movie. Yeah, I, I think <clears throat> for me, the most redeeming aspect is um, the love and the definition of love that the movie kind of gets is um, like throughout it, you see that there is love between Anna and Elsa. Um, and you hear Olaf say the famous line, some people are worth melting for, which is saying love is self-sacrifice. Like, mm. and that's what you see is like the, in, in previous movies, like true love's kiss, um, can break spells and it does for, you know, some of the movies and to a certain degree, like if it's true love where the person is willing to like sacrifice for the other and love them truly and, and all they live happily ever after, like, well then that's good love. Like, even if it did happen in a day, like 
if they do truly live happily ever after in a happy marriage and stuff like that, that's love that's genuine and true love um, as defined by love is willing the good of the other and sacrificing for others and not being self-centered and not using others for pleasure. Like if it's genuine love, then it's like, okay, that's fine. You know, but... Well, that, and there's a range, right? Because in, in the old Disney movies, there's like the difference between Prince Philip in Beauty... Or no, sorry, Sleeping Beauty. Like literally fights a dragon, mm-hmm. right? To to go and rescue uh, Aurora. Mm-hmm. Um, that like that, that feels like an external manifestation of, a, you know, a conscious inner choice to sacrifice for the good of the yeah. other. Um, but then you have like Snow White where... I don't even know the prince's name and I forget the context of, of how they get together, but it's like, it's just kind of like convenience, right? It's like, Oh, Oh, Hey, a beautiful woman. Yeah. He, should I, should I yeah, kiss her? <laughs> there's this glass coffin in the forest and he's like, I'm going to kiss this dead body. <laughs> like she wakes up <laughs> like that's, that is a little weird. I'm not going to lie. Like the yep. prince doesn't show up until the yep. very end. It's like he's been there and finds his true love in the forest and realizes she's dead and kisses her to come back to life. He just shows up and he's like, who yeah. are you again? Like, why are you doing this? Yeah. Yes, that is weird, but um, but actually, like even with uh, the original fairy tales where these come from, um, like the I don't think his name is Finn in the I forget uh, I read it recently, but no, the no. prince from Rapunzel, um, he comes to visit her many days, like for weeks he would come and visit her, and cli- like whenever he was able to, he'd sneak up there and visit her and get to know her and talk to her. First, he just talked to her down from the tower. Oh, eventually, she grew to trust him. And would let him climb up her hair into the tower to talk with her, be with her. But he'd always escape before the evil, you know, which came back. Um, and he promised to free her one day. And he finally does fight to free her and rescues her and then asks her to marry. And so you see friendship that grows to trust, that grows to love <laughs> in the stories. And in a movie, you can't really do that. So it's like, we're going to fall in love in a matter of several days. And it's like, okay, great. And like, same with like Aurora in Sleeping Beauty. Like he comes to see her in the fairy cottage for many days and months and they become friends before he knows that she's the princess and before her 16th birthday. And so like in the in the stories, you get the context that like they had deep friendship and they grew to fall in love with one another over time. Yeah. Um, and so that's a good thing is, is, but it's not in the movies. And so you it, you get this idea that, oh, someone can fall in love in a day. And it's like, that's not true. And no one, well, it, no one's yeah, arguing that, thing. by the way, like, I don't know anybody who actually believes that you can fall in love in 24 hours with someone and that's the person you're going to marry. Like, so this is, that's interesting though, because I feel like in the same way that we're kind of talking about the implicit effects of of a movie you're like frozen, there's the implicit effects that the kind of classic Disney romance tales will um, impart to people because Cinderella is another one where I think they fall in love and get married in in under 24 hours. I liked the live action adaptation because I felt like that was a little that had more substance to it. But like with that one and and some of the other ones we've been talking about, it's like if if the message at the end of those is that romance ought to happen that quickly, then you have people acting like Anna and basically like throwing themselves into something prematurely because of their conception of what love is mm-hmm. and romance. well and again like the the key thing for her was she jumped into that relationship out of desperation to get out of a bad situation um which sure. happens like from my youth ministry days and seeing people that would jump into relationships just to like mm. find someone who actually would like love and care for them even if that person didn't really love and care for them like it was like oh no don't date that person don't do it and then they do it and then they they 
seem like super happy and like, oh yeah, like everything's fine. And it's like, oh no, like I knew this wasn't going to end well. And it doesn't. Like a year later, it's like they're brokenhearted. The person betrayed them in some terrible way that only teenagers can do. And then like, you know, <laughs> they're heartbroken. And you're like, I saw this coming from day one. Like I, I could have yeah. told you this story. Um, it just happened over a year, but I could have told you it would happen in a heartbeat. And so like you can see that and that does happen. And so I think that there is a, a detriment to that. And that's why I think Frozen actually does a good job of showing that love isn't just that emotion of romance, but that love takes on many forms. So Olaf is willing to melt in front of the fire to give warmth to Anna when she's dying on the, the couch in the room. Um, when Hans betrays her, he pours the water on the fire and puts it out so she'll freeze to death. And then he can blame her death on Elsa and have her executed so he can usurp the kingdom and take over as the new king. And it's like, that is evil. And like... Dastardly. Yeah. And like, the only thing that would have made him truly evil and like sealed the deal is if he'd sat there and watched her die. Like, which is what he should have done. <laughs> like, if he's a smart guy, but he's not. He's like, if he, he, were he left her guy. alive in there to, oh, I'm going to leave her to die. And then he goes downstairs and he's like, she's dead. And it's like, if anyone sent a servant up there, they would have found her. Because she was still up there alive when Olaf was there. He literally goes downstairs and says that she's dead and died in her arms. Died in his arms. It's like, no, if anyone goes up there to check that, dude, you're screwed. Like, what are you doing? Exactly. It's like, if you really, I'm not condoning evil here. But if you were actually a really good bad guy, you would have watched her die. Like, if you're that bad, like, I don't know. Just make sure she's dead. See it through. But, uh. Anyways, he's it's he's a, a he's a bad guy, just right? Tying up loose. Um, and Olaf yeah. lights the fire and he's melting. He's like, some people are worth melting for. It's like love can be sacrificed. Like if Olaf had melted yeah, all I, the way, then well, beyond that, that would have been crazy. But beyond that, because because that's I mean, the whole movie is kind of premised on this. Like she Anna is searching for the true love's kiss that right. will cure her frozen heart, and uh, it's the sacrifice of her sister's love that's what ends up undoing it's her self-sacrifice like she she's looking to save her life yes oh, okay yeah. you're right you're right she's right. looking Sorry. to save her own life she's like if i can find true love i can thaw the frozen heart in me and i can i can live right um and so she's looking to save her life and she realizes she's in love with Kristoff, and that she wants to go and well you know get his kiss and so she's going across the f- frozen fjord looking for him he's riding on his reindeer to try and find her boats are crashing up out of the icy depths um and elsa's out there and um hans is coming at her with a sword after telling her you killed your sister she's dead because of you you should just lie down and let me kill you it's basically what he does like oh my gosh this is dark and she like she <laughs> lies down and he draws a sword to kill her um and anna looks over and sees Kristoff is coming and she can get her kiss and thinks that that could save her but she decides no i can't let my sister die um, this is all like him doing this is my fault. I have to make up for this. And so she runs and with her final act before freezing solidly, she lifts her up her hand, breaks the sword um, and is a frozen statue and sacrificed herself to save her sister. And in that moment, Elsa gets up and, you know, embraces her and weeps there. And it's a sad moment. Uh, and then, of course, the resurrection happens where, you know, she melts and an act of true love thawed the frozen heart and it was self, the sacrifice of herself and the death of herself. So to me, that's the most yeah. redeeming thing that this movie does is it teaches children that love isn't just 
romantic affection um, and good warmy feelings. It's hard work. It's sacrificing yourself. And it, it's even maybe laying down your life for the person that you love the most. That's what true love is. And it doesn't end with the marriage or the romance, right? Like Kristoff and Anana begin mm -hmm. to date, but they don't actually get married at the end. Um, that's part of the mm -hmm. drama of the second movie is like they're dating and trying to figure out if they're going to get married or not. And he's like trying to propose to her. But like, so the movie doesn't end with, and then they fell in love and got married. It's like, I'm going right. to date you and see if we're actually a good couple for each other. And then you have Elsa who's like, I've learned to master my magic by learning what true love is. And the way that I'm going to live that love out is by accepting both my responsibility and who I am and not being afraid of either of them anymore and not living a life of fear, but living a life of love. Because as the scripture says, perfect love casts out all fear. And so I was hoping you were going to. Yeah. Go so <laughs> if we're if we're going to morally define love in a good way, it's I think of all the movies, I think Frozen actually does a really good job of defining love as a, a Christian should define love. That love is the willing the good of another. It is willing to sacrifice yourself for another. Um, and I, I think that that movie shows that and teaches that better than almost any Disney movie I can think of. Dang, man. That's a pitch. I gotta say, there's there's some good points in there. I will concede that. I here's here's where I'll I'll kind of direct this. Then is like I I don't have anything to argue with 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 what you put out. I think uh, yeah, those are those are all solid points. So when it where I think like my hesitations with it have always stemmed from is like when it comes to. Um, where where the movie meets an audience right like that that step of interpretation and uh, internalization so if someone doesn't kind of take the step that we have to examine what's going on like what are ways that this could go awry like what are the the false messages that that come across because i think that that's where Like, I, I don't want to make everything about, um, like, to, to over-sexualize it, I guess. But it, it feels like that romance being a, a central component, that uh, it could be construed that the characters in the film are, like, act, actors for an agenda. Um, th that, that feels really, like searching for uh <laughs> searching for a nail right like as as a hammer that's like everything's about the agenda uh but the fact that like the characters remain unmarried at the end and uh the the sort of like typical structure is or, or the historic traditional structure is cast off and um let it go is kind of such a centerpiece it's like it it i guess gives me pause it's like we're kind of looking at it in this way and it's like self self-sacrificial love it's it's got all these great messages but it's like is there enough there for someone who does sort of like buy into the agenda and I'll name it like, right. That, um, you know, marriage is not between a man and a woman that, uh, gender is, is something that is, uh, sort of like chosen by, by people, um, and, and can be constructed. Um, and all, all the, the sorts of sort of, uh, like, I guess I'll call them like deviations from, from the historic norm uh could could you watch it through that lens and sort of like 
use it to justify yeah point points in the opposite direction i think the source material does not give a direct possibility for that i don't think like the characters ever express anything in that direction um in the movie um like even let it go um the the words and the lyrics and the idea of her power and stuff like that um because it is pretty clear that it's talking about her magic and how she has been isolated and put down all this time and she's finally able to let it go. Um, I could see someone interpreting it in that way, but um, I don't think it was ever made to do that. I, I think that there might be a retrospective agenda in there, and that was where some of the controversy of Frozen 2 was coming, was like, are you going to take characters that people love and know and use them to manifest an agenda that wasn't there originally or might not have been intended to be there or like, you know, is is going to turn these characters into a mouthpiece for an agenda. Um, there was a concern about that, but I think in the source material, um, it was not implicitly hidden in there. Um, and they're like winking at the audience, like, hey, here's this, like, um, you all know what we're saying here. I don't think that that was there. Um, but I think that there are people who have, from the outside, tried to put interpretations like that in. Um, but it's kind of like how <clears throat> people have like retrospectively gone back and changed established products back then as well. And it's been like, oh, in Harry Potter, I'm just going to change these things. Even though the source material might even contradict that, I'm just going to like go back and do that. And there's been controversy over that, that J.K. Rowling did that. I, I don't know what this is. She just went back and changed stuff about her characters to kind of suit her political views and th different things like that. She went back and changed certain things okay. about, you know, established characters to try and make points and like to try and do stuff. And, and people kind of felt, don't use these stories that are well-loved and the, this masterpiece that you've done to retrospectively add in your agenda. Like, that's not needed mm -hmm. here. Um, and... Honestly, I think on both sides, we know that if we're being honest with ourselves, no matter where you land on different issues, um, no good story is going to have the character be a living, walking agenda. Right. Um, yeah. You can't. You can't do that to people. It deviates. Um, it, it it stops becoming art and becomes propaganda at that point. Right. Well, we and snip that. And really I, so I think that my response that would just be that Frozen wasn't. I don't think he was implicitly doing that. Um, sure. And so for me, it's more of just like from the outside looking in or from like, you know, different people who are influencers who have used this to try and put things like that out there. Um, there's a possible lens in which you could try to see that, but <clears throat> I think it would kind of go against the original intent that was there. Um, and that like the story was written to talk about isolation and, people who were lacking in love and broken and how they found real love through the actions they made. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, I, I think the, that fear is kind of rooted in this general sense that like Disney as a corporation is interested in, like has vocalized an interest in promoting that agenda and does create shows that have characters who are walking mouthpieces. Um, and so I, I think like their mainline movies usually sort of adhere to a, a certain, uh, I want to say neutrality on it all, but it's, it's almost like 
to, to be a tentpole Disney film, it needs to be just like a darn good story. And so they don't, it, it, it's not attempting anything particularly risky. Um, and strays pretty close to like the center of the, the chart when it comes to like appealing to all audiences. Yeah. And, and to be honest, I tried to like avoid comes back to like a Lord of the Rings conversations. Like I try to avoid all the outside stuff and the like mm. agenda stuff in general, because our, our world is so polarized right now, no matter what side of an aisle you land on or what, where you are in an agenda that, um, that can just become like our, our art becomes a turf war for our ideology. And for yeah. me, it's like, I want the art that I participate in to be something I can enjoy and just to like make my own judgments there. And so if the art itself and the, the um, intent of the author and the writing itself is leaning towards an ideology that I don't agree with, that's one thing. But when it's something that is either, like you said, net neutral or even like actually has really positive, um, you know, explicit things that are written into it. And then people are trying to bring that agenda and stuff it in where it doesn't really fit, or maybe it could potentially fit if you saw it in that lens from and reinterpreted certain lines in a specific way. Um, but I try to avoid that just because it's like, if it's not explicitly written in there to where it's like, ah, yes, that is the correct interpretation of this. Um, instead of, oh, I can see how someone could get that out of this. I think that for me, I try to avoid that because it's like, you know, anyone can go back and take a good story and then reframe it in such a way that it's like, ha see? Like, and it's like, I don't know, like, I don't see that there and I never saw that there. And I don't think I'll continue to see that there after you pointed out. It's like, I guess so. But, um, to each, to each. Yeah. So that's kind of where I land with that. It's like, I I do understand the concern that, you know, especially whenever a very, very popular, um, movie or, uh, person is all over the place. Like if you have daughters, they've seen, Frozen, even if they haven't seen Frozen. Um, like, people have Anna and Elsa shirts and backpacks. Like, it's it's everywhere to where it's like, okay, they're going to know who Anna and Elsa are even if they've never seen the movie. They're going to know the music if they hang around kids their age. And uh, maybe that's changed over time. But, like, Infanto is a great example. Like, I was walking through my, the church building I work at and walking past the children's um, ministry that we were doing. And while they were all playing their opening game before talking about the gospel and stuff, um, they were playing Kanto music over the intercom as they're running around playing this game and laughing together. And it's like, oh, that's fun. But it's also like, it permeates everything. Like popular music yeah. that kids love, they they share it and they play it and they're going to hear it in different places. And so I do think that some of these concerns about these songs are a valid thing because it's like, again, if you hear it out of context, which many people heard it out of context, it can be troublesome and problematic even within the context that it's not. Like it's, it's not good that that song can make it seem like go do whatever you want, no matter the consequences, forget everybody else, just be yourself. Even if it means that you're hurting people along the way. And it's like, yikes, that's not a good message. Like that's no one should be living that. Well, and I think, I think the the takeaway would be that that's not, that that's sort of like, a, I guess a consequence, but it's, it's not derived from the source material. Right. That's just sort of like uh, an unfortunate fault of uh listening to it without associating it with the the source right and music music is one of the most powerful mediums to affect people um 
And so knowing that your movie has a certain message that you're getting across. True love is not just romance. True love is self-sacrifice. Uh, true love can be family. And uh, these these sisters who are willing to sacrifice everything, even though um, both of them easily could have resented and hated each other. Show me a better sibling dynamic in children's media. Um, there are other good examples, but this is a pretty darn good one. <laughs> Man, well, I'm, I think where where i'm i'm starting to fall is less on like i think similar to what you outlined at the start of not exactly like everybody's gotta go see this movie but it's like dude there's there's stuff to be gained here so i before i'm not saying i'm gonna go show it to my kids but i i would screen it again and i'm not telling you to go show it to the kids i i think i think the girls would be totally happy and free and learn the same lessons from frozen from you you and kathleen um because you do have good understanding of love and you know that love is this way. And so they're going to learn this lesson regardless of if they've seen Frozen. So I'm not sitting here even saying, you must show them Frozen. Like, but I, I my hope was that there's an openness to like, okay, this wasn't as bad as I was concerned. And like, there isn't something in here that like yeah. actually is like, I don't want to like invalidate nothing... your desire not to. So yeah. I don't want to say it's invalid, but it's like, I, I just want to make sure that it's like not, oh, there's something generically harmful in this movie. And I would dissuade right. other people from showing it because I think it's a bad decision to show someone else for these right. reasons. My hope it's is not it implicitly problem. Yeah, at least neutral, positively neutral, if if you will. I don't know. Yes, I, I would. I would. <laughs> you can at least leave it in positive isolation. <laughs> <laughs> Too good. <laughs> well, good. I, I'm glad. I think this is a good conversation and... I, yeah. Again, I'm shocked at how much I remember this movie, even though it's been a year and a half since I've seen it. But it's like, it's been a year and a half since I've seen it 50 times in a row. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, some things never change. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Echoes of Eternity. Make sure to subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating if you like the show. And be sure to tell us your thoughts and what you want Ben and Matthew to talk about in future episodes. Tune in next time to hear more. Eternal Echoes.